Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's today's message with guest speaker, John Davison. The Wilderness and the Life of the Christian. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here with you this morning, although not in this way. <laughs> um, obviously, whenever I come up here, I always got to share what happened. But um, uh, 4th of July came. I said I was coming here, and uh, I didn't want to cancel, but I uh, fell down the stairs, and I had a bowl of ice cream in my hand, so I said, should I save the bowl of ice cream, or should I save my foot? And I decided to save the bowl of ice cream. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> Um, Good to be with you this morning, good to worship with you. Last time I was here, I did a sermon on the blood, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, Um, kind of topics that I really, really enjoy and appreciate. And I struggled this morning a little bit on what message to share with you. And, um, you know, the thing that came to my mind is, you know, the past couple of years have been pretty difficult, wouldn't you say? And, uh, you know, I think that the word or scripture can really encourage us during this time. And um, it reminds me of one thing that the Israelites faced and know very well of, and it's the wilderness. And I feel like the day and age that we live in today is like what the Israelites faced when they were wandering in the wilderness. So that's the message I'm gonna try to bring home to you guys this morning. So let me spring off of uh, what I talked about last time I was here. By the way, my name is John Davidson. Uh, My wife is Tiffany. You'll see her in the back as you leave the service this morning. Um, We serve Jewish people for the kingdom, and I love giving messages from a Jewish perspective. Um, So one of the things that I am well aware of just living in Jerusalem and being so close to the wilderness um, is the wilderness concept and what that looks like for the Christian life. So that's the message this morning. It's gonna be about the wilderness and the life of the Christian. Last time I was here, um, I'll just show this on the screen for the sake of time. Uh, I mentioned something very significant about the blood and it's uh, contained in this verse here. This is the last chapter of Exodus um, and it ends with a problem. This is just the last few verses here. And the problem is, it says here in this verse, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now keep in mind, they're in the wilderness here. And Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the problem here was that the Israelites were in the wilderness. They passed through the waters of Egypt, just like in our Christian life, we left the world and passed through the waters. And, uh, but you know what? The Israelites had to go through the wilderness before they got to the promised land. And that's much like what the Christian life is about. And, but God does a, a miraculous thing in the wilderness and actually a few of them. Uh, obviously he was with them cloud by day and fire by night. He, uh, Moses struck a rock and gushing water came out of it and provided drink in an arid land. And he also gave a miraculous food from heaven in the wilderness, and so God does the same for us. So at the end of the book of Exodus, when they're in the wilderness, uh, even though God's presence was among them, they couldn't enter into that intimacy with him. So the book of Leviticus was written, which comes after Exodus, and it, it provides a solution to that problem. It talks about blood 89 times, 
to show the significance of the blood and why it's important to enter into the presence of God. This is at the very center of the book of Leviticus for the sake of time. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you, given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So the key word here is blood and it provides an atonement. It provides a covering uh, on our behalf to enter into God's presence, his holy presence. And so the book of Numbers after Leviticus, verse one, this is how it begins. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So the book of Leviticus uh, provided a solution and that solution worked. The Israelites or Moses was able to enter into the very presence of God. I think this is significant because the book of Numbers, the Jewish people actually called the book of Numbers Bar Midbar in Hebrew, which means in the wilderness. As you can see here in verse one, it says the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. So the irony is, is that God's presence was among them in a very tangible way, but where it began was in their wilderness wandering. And so it is with us as Christians. You know, one of the songs we sang this morning, uh, Amazing Grace, that's probably one of my favorite worship songs of all time. It was the first worship song I sung when I became a believer. Um, I share little pieces of my testimony kind of every time I come because I, I don't want the whole sermon to be about my testimony, but I got saved when I was in jail and two men came out to me and shared the gospel with me. I didn't accept Christ right at that moment, but um, I went to a chapel service maybe about a week or two later and I listened really intently to what the pastor had to say and uh, it was very clear to me what Jesus came to do, that he died on the cross for my sins, he rose and conquered death, and those who just simply believe in that truth of what Jesus came to do can begin a relationship with him. And I accepted that relationship at that moment, sitting in that pew in a jail cell. And we sang a song right after that, uh, you can imagine, Amazing Grace. And that line came across that would save a wretch like me. Now I know, if someone on the street said, hey, you're a wretch, you probably would do something you, wouldn't, you would regret later in response. But for me, you didn't have to tell me I was a wretch. I already knew that. I was sitting in a jail cell when, when God saved me. And I was so filled with joy. The irony is, is that I was sitting in a jail cell and I was there for four months longer after that day. Um, and yet I was so filled with joy, a joy that I've never experienced before in my life. And the irony is, is that I was in a place of a wilderness when I began that relationship, a place of loneliness, a place of spiritual drought and hardship, and yet that's where God met me. It's the same for us as Christians. Every single person sitting here this morning will face a wilderness in your life but it's in that place that God will meet you. I wanna share this other story with you really quickly. Is um, my, like I said, my wife and I are missionaries to Jewish people. In 2016, uh, my first year of being in Israel, I did a little detour, went to Africa and came back to Israel after three months. And because I had to pass through Saudi Arabia, and at that time there was no relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia, 
I had to take a plane from Jordan to Saudi Arabia. So when I came back and I landed in Jordan after my trip in Africa for three months, uh, they dropped me off at the border. And you could see Israel from a distance of Jordan and Israel and Jerusalem from way, way, way far distance. But in between Jerusalem, the promised land, and where I was standing was miles and miles of arid desert. And I looked uh, at that time, I, I looked in my pocket to see how much money I had, and I had 50 cents to my name. And they dropped me off of the border, and I was looking in my bag to see what food I had. I had one little uh, energy bar, and I looked at my water, and I had half a bottle of water left. And I saw 30 miles of the Judean desert in front of me. And I realized that that is much of what, or can be, what the Christian life could be like where it's a time of loneliness, a time of hardship, even financial hardship, a time where the little water that you have is something that is your life source. It's something that you need so badly that you would do anything to get it. The world that we live in today is that context. There's hardship that continues to grow and become hardship upon hardship. But what we do in that time is significant to us, brothers and sisters. This is a time when God does miraculous work in our lives. And I wanna encourage you with that by showing you in the book of Hosea what God does when he draws us into the place of the wilderness. So if you brought your Bibles this morning, can you please turn with me to Hosea chapter two? Hosea chapter two, it's after Daniel, it's the first minor prophet, and it's before Joel. Hosea chapter two. Hosea is one of my favorite prophets of all time. Um, it's a court case. Uh, you might know the story of the background of Hosea. It's during the days of Hezekiah where the Israelites were in a, a state of disobedience. And so God does a series of things to show their disobedience and what God is gonna do in response. And so he tells Hosea to marry Gomer, who's a, a prostitute. And Gomer is representation of the Israelites at that time, where they were unfaithful to their husband. And so in that context, in Hosea chapter two, God now talks about when Israel is unfaithful, when there's hardship in the land in this way, he shows what he does in response. He gives seven principles or seven things that God does when he enters, when we enter, experience the wilderness in our lives here in verse 14 of chapter two. The first one being that God draws us into the wilderness when we can't do it ourselves. It says in verse 14, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So what God does here is something that we can't do ourselves is that he draws us into that place because it's impossible. No one wants to willingly go into the wilderness, so God has to draw us into that place. And the person who leads us into that place or the person who has done that before us is Jesus Christ himself. It says in Mark chapter one that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. So even himself, he didn't willingly go in there, but just like the Israelites, representing the Israelites, he was driven into that place. Very important. 
because God is the one who brings us into a place of hardship, but for a purpose. Secondly, the second thing he does is it says here in the part B of verse 14 that he speaks tenderly to her. Now, this is a language that you would use in a marriage where a husband speaks tenderly to his wife or his spouse. It says literally in Hebrew that, um, that he speaks to her heart. I think this is important because, well, it reminds me of a story, actually, um, a time of uh, hardship in my life where I didn't know what was around the corner of my life. I had no plans around the corner. I had uh, a financial difficulty. I felt alone in my life. But the irony is, is that in that place, God's voice was so prominent to me. When I open up the scriptures, it's like the words jumped out on the page. It was almost like a two-way conversation that I was having with God. And that still small voice of him was so easy to recognize for me. So that's the irony is that when we face hardships in our life, God is even nearer to us uh, then than in a time of plenty. The book of Numbers, as the Jewish people call it in the wilderness, not Numbers, if you read it very carefully, you'll see that the whole book is about, yes, the wilderness and the wilderness wanderings, but it's focused on the tabernacle, God's presence, tangible presence among his people. And it hinges on the very middle chapter of the book of Numbers. Um, chapter 18 is all about the tabernacle and how the cloud settles on it by day and by night fire directs them. And that's how it is in our lives when we face hardships. The third thing he does is in verse 15 is that he blesses us in the place of the wilderness. It says, and there I will give her her vineyards. So there's three ways he blesses us. One is he gives us our vineyards. So what does that mean? Well, if you understand the topography of the desert, you'll recognize that the desert doesn't grow vineyards. Have any of you guys seen vineyards in the desert? This is why it's so important to read scripture carefully because this is something I think that we easily just pass over. Um, but it's very important what God is saying here because he's saying when it seems impossible, when blessings seem so distant, when we're facing so much hardship, that's when God shows up in a powerful way. The second way he blesses us is that he makes the valley of Achor a door of hope. What does that mean? Well, the valley of Achor is a valley next to Jericho where Achan, he was a, one of the Israelites, when they conquered Jericho, he took some of the gold and buried it under his tent. Do you guys remember that story? Well, it brought trouble upon the Israelites because of his sin. And the next time they went into battle, the Israelites failed to take over the city. Achor in Hebrew is the word for trouble. And so it is with sin in our lives. Um, you know, being a Christian, even though we're supposed to live in faithfulness to God, it's very apparent as we draw closer to God, more apparent sin is in us. And that sin brings thorns and thistles in our lives. But when God draws us into a place of drought, aridness, a desert, it's in that place that he takes our sin and turns it into a blessing. And the third way he blesses us is in this last part of verse 15. And there, shall, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, 
as at a time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is a difficult one to kind of explain, but I think because this is talking about a marriage relationship between Israel and God, it's speaking about the honeymoon phase of that relationship. The relationship with the Israelites and God began when they passed through the waters, exiting Egypt and entering into the wilderness. And it's at that time that the devotion between husband and wife were a very pure devotion. In that line, it says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in the land not sown. So this was a time when there was a pure devotion of a spouse to spouse, and God will restore that. He'll give that to us as a blessing when he brings us into a place of hardship. In verse 16, I like this one very much. Um, uh, The third or fourth way he blesses us is that when he brings us into the wilderness, he brings us to a closer intimacy with him. It says in verse 16, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. So what does that mean? Some of your translations might say instead of my Baal, it might say my master. So Baal in Hebrew is the word for master, but it is also ironically the same word used for husband in scripture. And so is my husband is uh, Ishi. My husband is another word for husband, but two of them kind of emphasize a different aspect of that relationship. My Baal, a servant to master relationship is one that's distant. It's not intimate. It's not personal. It's a distant relationship. And so that's what, one of the reasons why God draws us into the wilderness is bring us to a closer intimacy with him so that we would utter the words just as the prophet says here that we would call God my husband. The relationship that God designed in this world that is the most intimate relationship on this side of heaven. In verse 17, in the wilderness, God knocks down the idols in our lives. It says, for I will remove the names of the Baals from your mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. So it's hinging on that word in Hebrew, Baal, but here it's being used not as my master, but as the Canaanite God, Baal. If we're honest with ourselves as Christians, it's pretty apparent that we have idols in our lives. And so one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why he draws us into the wilderness is to knock down those idols so that we would have a pure devotion for God himself. Because honestly, just like going back to my experience in a jail cell, the most joy I've ever experienced of being in a place that I was lonely, had no money, my family and my friends deserted me, the place that I had the most joy was in the moment that I recognized that I had a relationship with God. God draws us into a place of hardship so that we recognize the most important thing we have as Christians is that relationship. No matter how hard this world gets, no one or nothing can take that away from us. Amen?
The next thing that God does for us in the wilderness is in the wilderness, he restores our peace. He says in verse 18, and I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields and with the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. So for the sake of time, instead of explaining everything in this verse, I'll just mention the key word, the last word here, safety. In Hebrew, it is the word shalom. Do you guys recognize that word? It should be translated as peace here because that's what it ultimately is referring to. Even though there is hardship in this world and there's wars, there's famines, there's a sword, but God will abolish all that and replace it with shalom in our lives. But he has to bring us into the wilderness to accomplish that. And it's so important that we let him do his miracle and his work in the place of hardship in our lives. And the last one, the seventh thing that God does in the wilderness, according to Hosea, is God restores his pure marriage with us once and for all by his faithfulness and not our own. It says in verse 19, and I, key word, I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. The irony is, is that Israel as Gomer was so unfaithful to her husband. But God brings Israel into the wilderness to restore that devotion. But the ultimate goal is to show not that he can make Gomer sinless or faithful, but to show that God is the one who's faithful in our lives. God is the one who brings mercy. He's the one who shows steadfast love. And he is the one who is righteous. And it's through him, through his devotion and his faithfulness to us, that we can truly know him. One thing, and let me just end this, end with this. Uh, if you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. There's an important character in the wilderness. The two books that talk about the wilderness primarily, historically, are Exodus and the book of Numbers. One of the key characters in the book of Exodus is Joshua. So the question I want to answer now I showed you what God does to us when he brings us into the place of the wilderness. But what is our response to him when we face hardship in our lives? What do we do as Christians? And what I want to show you is we do what Joshua did, where we focus on the one thing that matters. So in chapter 33 of Exodus, verse seven, it says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. This was before the tabernacle. The tent of meeting became the tabernacle. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent and all the people would rise up, each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses very intimately, and when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud and standing at the entrance of the tent, 
all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, which often people recognize this as a very popular verse referring to the intimacy that Moses had with God as a man speaks to his friend. But listen to what it says about Joshua here. When Moses turned again into the camp, the one thing that mattered to Joshua is here. His assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from that tent. In the wilderness, Joshua, Moses, Caleb, the rest of the Israelites, when they were facing hardship in their life, Joshua recognized the thing that matters beyond all this is one thing, the presence of God in a relationship with him. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.